0: So How we doing? We feel good. Yeah. Survived a work week. Made it to church, right? Right. That's what we're going to talk about. So let's pray, because I need help. You need help. We all need help. So let's ask for help. God, we just uh, come before you on the Sunday morning, actually the start of a week, um, and just uh, ask for your anointing over um, our study. Uh, I'm, I'm selfishly I'm pretty empty this morning. Just need you to uh, take over completely. And just uh, use me as an instrument, however you see fit. Uh, just, just minister to your people. Um, In fact, each one of us here today with your gospel, with just the saturation of the gospel and what that means for our, our everyday lives. And so Jesus, as John prayed, we just thank you for what you've done, uh, what you continue to do today, and what you promise to do one day. And so I pray as we open up your word that uh, your people would be edified, Um, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So 70% is the stat that researchers have come up with recently. 70%. 70% of your waking hours, of the the hours that you're actually functional, useful, engaging, conscious, 70% on average of your waking hours are spent at work. Some people just want to leave. They're like, I did not come to church to hear about work, right? (laughs) I left that misery behind. Got five days of that misery ahead of me. This is my me time, my Jesus time. Let's talk about Jesus, though. 70% of our lives, and that's on average. So you figure that's between people that are doing 60% and 80%, 50% and 90% of their waking hours. And, and I fully believe that, that God loves to do things in threes. He is uh, three persons in one God. I do fully believe in eight hours of sleep, eight hours of awake time, but not at work, and then eight hours of work, thirds. I like that. So that, that puts you at about, if you've got 16 hours of awake time, about eight, you know eight hours at the job, it's about 50% of your waking hours would be at work. And that's only over five days. You've got two on the weekend. Um, without work, but 70%, and, and if you're a Christian here this morning, you've professed a faith in Jesus Christ, you've heard a lot of preachers say that, that the gospel should just infect every area of your life, right? It's super easy to preach that. Look, just, just look. turn around, go out there, and just every minute of every day be about Jesus. How's that going at work, though? Right? Like, do you feel the power of Jesus Christ when you open up that spreadsheet? You feel the redemptive work of God when you, you know, open up Outlook and get the email? You know, your boss is emailing you during the Super Bowl about what you didn't do last week. How's that going? That's 70% of your awakened hours. Do they feel saturated with the gospel? And see, one of my passions as a pastor is, is setting this framework of everything we do to the gospel. And so what I want to talk about today is the gospel at work. The gospel at work, the gospel for that, those 70% of your hours. And I, and, and I admit that there's going to be some deconstruction and some construction. Deconstruction of, of false theologies and reconstruction, hopefully, in Christ under God's word, of a proper theology when it comes to work. Because this is key, and I want to show you that, that the gospel in itself is what's known as the meta narrative, it's known as the big story in the Bible. Any web nerds like myself? Anyone run websites? Code? Anyone? No? I'm alone? A couple? You know metadata, right? You've heard of metadata. It's the way that we try to, um, not really trick, but try to influence search engines like Google, um, whose algorithm is like 1,500 pages and changes about 500 times a year. So it's virtually impossible. Um, the, each website comes with a, with a parameter, and it's just coding. You don't know this just from browsing the website. It's known as the, the field where you insert metadata. So essentially, apart from all the content, all the images, all the navigation, all the graphics, all the videos, all that sort of stuff, give me a word set that describes this whole website. Tell Google. Tell them what the entirety of this website. In sum, what is it about? It's metadata. And so when we talk about the meta-narrative of the Bible, this is not 66 independent books. This is one book with 66 chapters. This is one story. The whole story. You gotta see the Bible in sum, or it starts to get weird. It does. And so when I say the gospel, I mean the meta-narrative, the big story that God's been telling the entire time, the one story, the consistent, fluid, penetrating story that God's been telling from generation from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I would submit to you if I gotta do a website on the Bible, my metadata. The big parts, what the whole Bible, the whole story of the Bible is about, is these five things creation, rebellion, redemption, reconciliation, and consummation. Who's seen this before? Maybe from me, maybe from Sunday night, some way, shape, or form. Not too many of you. Okay, that's fine. I'll tell you, we did on Sunday nights, we did a study on this in depth. Sunday nights, we have a service, alternative service, a lot of young people. We did an in depth study through each one of these, a five week series. So if you're curious about sort of the even bigger story about these five parts of the gospel, these five parts, and I would submit to you, this is the whole Bible in five words. You can go to the new website, godspeakcalvarychapel.com or gccto.com. Go to the sermons page, to, I think bottom right, you'll see the gospel. That was the name of the series. You can go into each one of these. Heck, five days in a week, five series, sounds like a good homework assignment to me. And so um, creation, rebellion, redemption, reconciliation, consummation. I would submit to you this is the whole Bible. It's the whole Bible. And if I had to put a description or a definition to the gospel, what is the gospel? Because People say, what is the gospel? Oh, the gospel is that you're a sinner and Jesus uh, saved you. But is that the whole gospel? Well, I think that's the important part. I don't uh, What do you mean? Is that the whole gospel? Is the whole gospel that the Bible begins by saying you're a sinner? No. No. Does it end with Jesus on the cross? No, we're still here, aren't we? Who has to go to work tomorrow morning? Me for the background, if you don't know me, I, I'm not on staff here at, church, at the church. I'm a volunteer pastor. I'm an assistant pastor. Okay, I go right back to the secular workplace tomorrow morning with you guys. I'm a marketing director at an international consumer product marketing firm. Okay, and I love saying that. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> a bit of my ego coming up. Okay, so I got to go back tomorrow morning and pop open Outlook, get up to my spreadsheets, get into my email, get into that grind. But I've been rescued. I've been rescued from some of my false theologies of work. And so, as a pastor, I just constantly want to be imploring to you that this is the framework of the entire Bible. I want you to see so many things through this framework. This is the redemptive framework. But if I had to give this a definition, what's the definition of the gospel that included these five parts? It would be this, is that Jesus created you for his glory and we rebelled. So Jesus came into human history, redeemed us on a cross, to be reconciled to a holy God unto his second coming. Okay? Okay. I would say to you, that's the entire Bible in one definition. That Jesus created us for his glory and we rebelled. So Jesus came into human history, redeemed us on a cross to be reconciled to a holy God unto his second coming. But what on earth does this have to do with my Monday morning? Right? I don't, look, I don't, uh, raise your hand. This is a tough question. So raise your hand. This is a, a, a question in the negative. If this is not you, if you do not work at a company, whose sole mission is the proliferation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Raise your hand. That's not your company. Right? If if you're going to deem yourself a Christian organization, I would be that that the sole purpose of your existence is the proliferation, the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. If that is not you, what does Monday morning look like and how does it connect with the gospel? Because that's what my Monday morning looked like i got to put all my numbers from last week up on a screen and be raked over the coals if they're going negative and be praised for my own glory if they're in the positive. Every Monday morning. Secular work. So I want to start this study where it all begins, but I want to maybe prod you with some questions. Have you ever asked this? Does God care about my work? Look, I I make a thingamabob that hooks up to a, a wahoo and then we ship it overseas. Does it it matter? Look, I'm a cog in a wheel. I'm I'm one guy that does this. I I sort mail or whatever you do. White collar, blue collar, mechanic, firefighter, landscaper, work at Target, fitness instructor, business owner, CEO, middle management, lower management, supervisor, assistant. Does God care about my work? And a lot of times the Christians, we're going to, he does. How? Maybe better, why? Why? How does God care for your work? Why does he care about your work? If you ask this, how do I integrate the gospel at work? It's really great to go have Jesus' time at church, and Mark's always up there yelling and screaming about Jesus and how it's epic, and he's going to come back and slaughter all his enemies. But, but really, it's just about replying to emails on Monday. But, it was, but it's 70% of my time. And as a pastor, when I see 70% of our time is spent doing something, I want to set a framework to that. I want, Monday, I want tomorrow morning to be the most radically transformative Monday morning in your life. Said and, just said and done. That's, that's, what, that's my intent this morning. And this is third service, so I can go till like three if I want to. Because <laughs> some of you are going to fight me the whole way. You don't know my job, okay? You don't know my boss. So does God care about my work? If so, how? Why? How do I integrate the gospel at work? Does my work only matter to God by extension or instrumentally? See, these are the weird things that Christians do to sort of like, in our own minds, redeem our work, our secular work. Okay, we say by extension my work matters. What I mean by that is this. Look, God has really blessed me with the ability to create businesses, I've created three small businesses myself. I still have two running. Okay? I know that world. Especially in California. Right? Navigating those landmines. Okay? And so God's just given me this gift, maybe you're saying to yourself, to run a business. I'm a CEO. God has given me clearly a gift for generating capital, for generating profit. It's amazing. And so when I then go tithe, it becomes good. Right? By extension. It's that we start to remove, it's like, look, I'm really good at this. It's secular work, but then when I take a portion of that and I return it to God, it becomes sanctified. Now it's legit. Now God is pretty excited about that part. We start to view work as like this means to this spiritual end or this extension. It's only instrumentally good. So if I'm generous with the money that I make from my secular job, then I'm doing spiritual work. And we've set up this false dichotomy, this false sense of dualism in our work life or maybe apart from being generous maybe you go into something that has to do with justice to be an instrument of God's justice you figure God's just and therefore as a christian look I'm not I'm not called to be on a church staff but maybe I'll go into law enforcement maybe I'll become an attorney maybe I'll become a judge and in that way I'll sort of Kind of connect the, the the justice work that God wants with kind of my work. I'm not going to talk about Jesus because I'll probably get fired. But um, you, you know, I'll just sort of like be an instrument of justice because God's just. And so again, we're kind of playing these mental gymnastics. By extension, I'm sort of kind of doing spiritual work, even though not really. It's like really just secular, and, and I'm just creating pieces of a part that goes to a bigger truck that gets sold to these other guys. All right? We start to by extension. Maybe you do something like it's it's my job. Regardless of what I'm doing, it becomes spiritual and good when I evangelize. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing when I'm turning my wrench, but if I talk to the guy next to me about Jesus, now I'm redeeming my work, right? By extension, by, it's just this instrumental connection. Have you done this? Have you started to try to do this? Because we started to struggle with that. You come to Sunday, you hear about gospel infects every area of your life. You're like, I work at, I work at a warehouse, I've done that. I worked at a carpet warehouse, just cutting carpet and moving carpet and playing joust with the forklift pole things, and right and just. Where's Jesus in the warehouse, right? Or maybe you've done it as I own my own business, or or I'm I'm high up in management, so I just need to be an example, right? I'm not necessarily gonna, I'm not gonna proselytize, but if I'm just if I'm just an example of of. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to treat everyone graciously. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to be an example of Jesus. I'm going to work, you know, diligently. And by that, you know, just as an example, running my business with godly principles, if I just sort of, that's the way that I'm going to sort of extend like the, but again, we're, we're, we're kind of creating this divide. Like there's certain things we have to do in order to redeem work because what we've done is we've believed at our very core that work is just a necessary evil. And I want to show you that that's not the case. And I want to show you that you cannot even go through the work day. You cannot even go through the work day with a proper understanding without the framework of the gospel. And so we begin in Genesis because everything began in Genesis. And so is our work of value? Does God care about our work? If so, how does it connect? How do I connect the gospel to my work? Is our work just of instrumental value? Does it have intrinsic value? And let me start by saying this. You can just take a look at chapter 1, verse 1. Work begins with God, not you. I just need you to know that. It's one of the most loving things I can say to you is that, look, work begins with Jesus, not you. Because, man, that should just lift a burden right away. You are not the example to follow of workmanship. You're not. It says this in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. True or false, God could have just said, exist. And it would have. Heaven, earth. By the way, he wasn't in heaven creating everything. He created heaven. There was just God. Then he said, heaven, earth, exist. Everything could have been done like that. What did God choose to do? Create. Barach. Assemble. Out of nothing, put together, create. God was the original worker. God is the first cause. God is creator. So God immediately says, look, this is part of who I am. This is part of what's good. If God is good and God works, work is now intrinsically good. And Colossians 1.16, as we're going to read later, says that in the beginning, God created. It was Jesus who did the creating. It so says, all things were created through him and for him. When God the Father spoke, when he put out a word, that's why we call Jesus the word, Jesus went to work and Jesus put it all together. No surprise that he came into human history as a carpenter. It's built into who he is. It's built into who God is. Is this work as he fashions And all of chapter one. is just laying out the details. Again, God could have just said, the heavens and the earth existed doesn't. It says he put this here and he moved there and he separated this and he pushed it aside and he brought up the mountains and he separated from the sea. He took the dark and he put light. He was moving. He was working. Jesus was creating. Before we were even created, Jesus was working. And so, if you look down to verse 26, it says this. After all the detail, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, and Jesus went to work putting it all together. It says, verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image, us, our Trinitarian language, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created, and in the original language in the Hebrew, it's as a potter with clay. Has to be fashioned and molded and pushed and softened and hardened. Has to be put together. So God created man, and in in an ancient language, if if it's not specific to a gender, you use the masculine form, right? This isn't sexism. Okay? Okay. So he created them, so he created mankind, if you will, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. We love that, we get to have sex. It says, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. Subdue it. And, And the word in the original language means to simply, from the resources provided, bring forth its potential. And we already, right away, even right down to our politics, we start to part ways on this one. Subdue it. You got the people that want to abuse creation and the people that don't even want to use creation. Immediately, hands off, or it's just gangbusters. Use it for whatever you want. Just go to town on Just destroy it. No, we don't get to abuse creation. We cultivate creation. We bring it forth. We bring forth its potential, ultimately, for human flourishing but that means that we actually do have to cultivate it. And so you got the environmentalists that don't want to touch anything, don't use it. You can't. Disin- no, of course, yes, absolutely, we can. But you got the other people that go the other way and just want to use it and pound and destroy everything. It's no, of course not. We don't pollute. We don't want to destroy everything. We don't abuse, but we do use. We subdue creation. And so it says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea. Hey, look, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are better than fish. Okay? I just want you to know that. I want you to be excited about that. You are better. You are deemed more worthy than fish. Happy day, right? Sunday, right? Monday doesn't look so bad now, right? But what God's doing is he's setting us up in his proper place. He says, look, you're not me, but you're not lower creation either. You're right in the middle where you should be. The world will have you believe you're either your own God or you're just simply the last link in an evolutionary chain. You're basically an animal. Both wrong. You are not God, but you are not an animal. You live right in that tension. It's part of higher creation. There is lower creation, which means we are above it. You are better than your dog. You are better than your cat. You are better than birds and fish. Okay? But you are not God. But you are not God. So it says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And in this, what we're seeing in creation is we're seeing the purpose of work. The purpose of work. He says, in my image. Jesus creates everything. He says, now I'm going to create you in my image. And so we're to be image bearers. Imago Dei, to reflect creator God to a fallen and broken world. That is the purpose of work, pre-sin, pre-fall. Like marriage, work was ordained by God before sin. We haven't known that. Only Adam and Eve knew what it was like to get up, go to work, to cultivate creation all to the glory of God. And it was all they knew how to do was the only thing they knew how to do. But there was work in paradise before there was even sin. Perfection included work. Some of you are are demoralized right now. Some of you were thinking eternity was no more work. I'm gonna do the Jesus thing so I don't have to work again. That's not how it was intended to be and it's not how it will be in the end. Work was ordained by God Intrinsically, listen, America, listen, church, listen, Christian, work was created intrinsically good. At its core, work is good. God ordained it. And so we see the purpose of work is reflecting Creator God and imaging Creator God. And it's also cooperating with God. If you look down to chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. See, if we all move to digital stuff, I'll I'll never again, as a pastor, hear the pages turning, right? Because you can't hear a thumb on an iPhone, right? This is kind of nice for me to hear this stuff going. So look at chapter 2, verse 4 on cooperating with God. Check this out. It says, Genesis 2, 4-5, it's going to say this. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. Check this out. God created everything and it was epic, but he held back on something. Before there were shrubs, Before there were plants, before there was growing, he he was holding back on this for a reason. There were no plants. Why not? It says this. It says, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. He says, look, there's more to come. Everything's perfect. I'm going to hold back not only on a little bit of creation, but on my resources because I'm waiting for something. And here's what he's waiting for. He says, and there was no man to work the ground. There was no man to till the ground. So he said, look, creation is perfect. I'm going to hold back my resources. I'm going to insert man, and then I'm going to pour it out on him so he has something to do. Because if God is a worker, why on earth would he create us as image bearers to not work? Imagine Adam and Eve show up, and everything's perfect, and it's just done. It's like they don't have to water. They don't have to trim the hedges. They don't have to do anything. They're like, oh, this is epic. We just get to be total lazies. Just to sit here. God's like, that's not my plan. I'm a creator. You start creating, too. And that's the best thing about God, is that God, and and even in the person and work of Jesus Christ, He will always model before He asks us to do the same. He will always model for you before He asks you to do the same. That's what's happening. It's, It's like the best high school coach on the planet. I had an epic soccer coach in high school. I've told some of you this. You've heard this before. I had a coach who was a professional, a semi-professional soccer player, like from Bolivia or something like that. He came over. This is not a typical American um, uh, soccer coach. We had a hill near our high school, huge hill we used to have to run up and down. We used to get guys on our backs, like someone around our weight, and we'd have to run up and down this hill, right? What do you think coach did? grab one of the captains and said, get on. Coach would do it first. He put us on a 12-mile death run before, up and down hills around the city, Coach ran it. I was a co-captain both years, um, junior and senior year, and myself, along with my other co-captain, skipped practice one day to go watch my girlfriend play in a state tennis match. Came back, knew I was going to get whooped, right? Knew I was going to get hazed for like, or whatever the politically correct term is. He said I was going to be encouraged physically, right? To be like... I was in the military, too. Like, it's, you can't call it, you know, hazing or whatever. It's like physical training with exuberance. I don't know what the heck they call it, right? With a guy in your face, and you're in a trash can. It's weird. But, like, <laughs> I knew I was going to get it. And for 30 minutes, myself and my co-captain had to do up-downs, right? Where you just hit the ground to your chest all the way. 30 minutes, a half hour, coach did everyone with us. It's a good coach. Those coaches don't exist anymore. If you're a coach, you need to be that coach. God's that coach. God's the one that says, look, you create because I first created. You work because I first worked. He doesn't say, "Like, hey, I'm God. I don't have to do anything. You work. You'll be lucky if I make it rain. <laughs> he says, no, look, I've fashioned everything. Now you're my image bearer, right? Now I'm going to hold back. Check this out. I'm going to give you some shrubs. I'm going to give you some rain so you can go to work. So you can begin to reflect me to a world. I'm a creator. And God goes in with initiative and skill and craft and artisanship and creativity and efficacy in his work. And he's skilled and smart about it. That's what Genesis 1 is. It shows he, just, he had a plan, he moved, he executed. So he says, oh, but I'm going to leave the shrubs out, I'm going to hold back on the rain, I'm going to create man in my image, and then I'm going to pour out the resources. And so we're in cooperation with God now. Because you have noticed that only God can make it rain? Have you ever noticed that? Like we've tried, right? Anyone tried? You can be honest, you tried when you were a kid especially. right? You're like, I think I could do a rain dance. Have you heard of those, right? Make it rain. so Cal kid, it ain't happening, okay? <laughs> you notice that only God can provide certain divine resources? But then what does he do? He expects us to work. He expects us to cultivate creation, reflect him in the process for human flourishing. And so he says this, he says, God had not caused it to rain on the earth since there was no man to till the ground. There was no shrubs because there was no rain. God saw fit to, not, to hold back until... Man came because he wanted a worker. And this, this kind of harkens forward to you guys remember that story of Jesus in his ministry? Thousands of people, and a lot of times they'd count it like 5,000 people. That was really just the men. So it could be 15,000 people if it was women and children, 20,000 people if it was women and children. And they were following Jesus on his ministry. And Jesus realized the disciples came and said, Look, everyone is hungry. Remember the story? And all we've got is a lunchable, right? One of the disciples stole, like, a lunchbox from a kid in town. They're like, oh, that's all we got right here. That's it. <laughs> now, true or false, like heavens and earth, Jesus could have just said, be full. And everyone would have been full. And it would have been a miracle. It would have been in the Bible. And we would have said, that's epic. Only God could do that. Right? What did God do? He held back. He said, I'm going to multiply the fish and the loaves. And then what did he do? Did he make them all get up and float out there magically to people's mouths and just- Right? What did he do? You you see the scene, you know, just like bread flying everywhere and fish, you know. What did he do? He multiplied it and said, hey, disciples, go distribute it. Right? God provides a divine resource. God brings the rain and he still expects us to cultivate the work. And so here's the thing. This is what should radically transform. You wake up tomorrow morning, you go to work. God's up there just saying like, look, I got all these divine resources for you. Wisdom, intellect, empowerment, encouragement, discipline. He just, he just, he's got them up there, and we're, just, we're, we're going in it alone. He says, I'm right here. I want to pour out divine resources on you. This is not the prosperity gospel. Oh, if you just tap in, here it goes, paycheck off the charts. It's never been the point. It's never been the point. This isn't the prosperity gospel or the poverty gospel. This is the gospel that God, creator God, says, look, I've got divine resources, tap into me, I'll pour them out, but you still got to do work. You still got to turn your wrench. You still got to code that site. Because work at its very core is intrinsically good. But we've lost that because something happened. And so, remember this before we move in. The purpose of work is to image and reflect and cooperate with God. We trust that God will make it rain, but we have to be then diligent to work the crops. The purpose of work was ordained by God before the fall. It is intrinsically good. And, and notice this: work existed before. Work existed before sin, as I said, before the fall. Work existed before there was even a need to preach the gospel. So-called spiritual work didn't exist. And God said, we still have work to do. Take heart. Working at its core, at its fundamental level, is good and pleasing to a creator God that says, in that work, when you approach that skillfully, when you approach that intelligently, with wisdom and grace and truth and creativity and and efficacy, when you drive that forward in your work, you are reflecting the creator God in and of itself. Apart from any extensions, well, this just creates my tithe. Well, if I evangelize while I'm there. No, the core, fundamental heart of work is intrinsically good. But something happened. And so we've seen the purpose of work. But now we're going to see the problem with work. And you know the story. God gave all the resources. Think of resources again. Adam and Eve unlike no one else in human history, could honestly say all the resources in heaven and in earth are at our disposal, right? Of anyone that could ever say that, they were working before they were sinned, they could say, we have all the resources available to us in heaven and in earth. We're in perfect communion with God. God says, you have everything, this universe and the heavens, and I have to offer except that tree. And they go, What tree? Oh, that, that tree. Interesting. I wonder why. with that tree? And we do the same dang thing. You've been given a place to live in Southern California. You've been given a vehicle, transportation, a job, a family, general security. America is incredibly secure, right? Incredibly wealthy. We're in the top 1%. I don't care what your pay scale is. You're in the top 1% the world over, right? All this sort of stuff. We're like, but I don't have that paycheck. But I don't have that house. But I don't have that title but I don't have the model of that car. I've got a Lexus, but it's not that Lexus. We do the same thing. And so you know the story. Adam and Eve, perfect fellowship. God says, but that tree. And we rebel. We rebel, and we still rebel today. Every day in and out, we rebel from creator God. And so we see the problem of work. If you flip over to Genesis 3, Look down to verse seventeen. Here comes the problem of work, purposed to be a reflection of Creator God. You'll notice it only took two chapters for the humans to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> verse seventeen through nineteen. Then Adam. Then to Adam, he said, "Because you have heeded the wife or the voice of your wife, which is generally a good idea, gentlemen." Don't take this and see. Don't make a whole theology out of this. Okay? Like, don't nudge her right now. She should be nudging you. Keep in mind, the whole reason God gave you a wife is because you need help. That's what God said in the Bible. It's there. You are messed up, gentlemen. God's like, he needs help. The whole thing was good except the guy's alone. He needs help. So in comes the wife, the helper. She's the same title God uses for the Holy Spirit. It's not derogatory. It's divine. And so he says, look, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, which is, is generally good, but this time it was bad. He says, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Cursed is the ground for your sake. God created everything perfect and whole and in community with him. And we rebelled. and it says, cursed is the ground for your sake. And now in this very moment in human history, not only is humanity fractured, As we pull away from holy God, not only is humanity fractured, but creation itself is now broken. Every time this state shakes, it's evidence of what Paul talks about in Romans 8, that the earth itself is fractured and groaning to be reconciled to God. Every tsunami, every hurricane, every tornado, every flood, every quote natural disaster is the earth crying out to be perfect again, the Bible tells us. It longs to be reconciled to God because it's been fractured. It's been cursed. Not because of anyone's single sin. They say, oh, a tsunami happened because of the homosexual. Forget that. It's nonsense. It's not the gospel. But all natural occurrences, all natural disasters at the root are the result of sin, the curse. And so now humanity and creation itself Is broken. And our heart default switched. Our heart default switched from eternal communion with God, eternity glorifying, praising, working forth to the glory and the name and the fame of God to rebellion. And it switched. All the parents know this. Parents, you know that at some point, you never had to teach your kids how to lie. Right? There was no parent in the planet that was like, all right, you're two now. Um... We got to teach you about how to lie to mom and dad, uh, regardless of the extent of your your sin. You know, it was just a cheerio, but you're going to need to you're going to need to deceive us at times. How do I do that, mom and dad? Well, whatever was actually happened, tell us it didn't. You notice this? I could keep going on this whole thing for a long time. I told you we got till three, right? You notice that? You come out fractured. We come out sinners, cute little sinners at that point, but sinners i got two little boys, rebellious in their heart. The default mode of their human heart has shifted. The default mode of the human heart, from communion to rebellion, from eternity to destruction, it was shifted in the rebellion when creation and humanity were fractured. Fractured. And so it says this, it says, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are. And to dust you shall return. Toil, thorns, thistles, sweat. Now we start to identify with work, right? (laughs) Now you're preaching a message I can get behind, right? Because that's what Monday morning feels like that's what Monday morning is, right? We identify with this because we've only known work in a post fall environment. That's why we need to be restored to its purpose. That's why we have God's word. Thank goodness the gospel doesn't start with you being terrible, right? Imagine if the Bible opened up, it's like man sinned. Oh shoot. Well, what was the standard? Perfection was the standard, God showed you that, and we rebelled. That's where the gospel starts. And so toil and thorns and thistles and sweat, this is definitely, definitely how work feels, but you need to know this was not God's intention. This was the result of our rebellion. Adam and Eve go from cultivating good creation. Listen, Adam and Eve in this moment, go from cultivating good creation to fighting fallen creation. And you've noticed this. I don't care if you, if you don't work outside, if you're a white collar schmuck behind a desk like me, right? And you just do this all day, just computers. I got two of them now, so now I get a kick, little kink in my neck. Like I'm now the result of like having too many monitors. You know, like it's awful but as I build sites and I build marketing campaigns and plans, if you build cars, if you build businesses, you know that you go into it with perfect intent, not always perfect intent, but you go into it wanting to make this thing good, great, grand, epic, and then it rebels against you, doesn't it? People lie, cheat, steal, technology breaks, the car stops working, it wears out, runs out of fuel. Your creation begins to rebel against you, does it not? Even in work, work begins to rebel against you. This is just a little bit, just a little, just a little way that we begin to understand what God is going through. When he goes and he actually does create things perfectly and it rebels against him. And now the creation that he cared for and he loved and he put, he put sweat and he put effort into now rebels against him. And, and earlier in the chapter, there, there's what's known as when the curse came in and Satan had deceived Adam and Eve... God came immediately after sin. God came immediately after sin. God came immediately after sin and promised a solution. Did he not? He said I'm going to put enmity between you, right? I'm going to look, I'm going to bring a savior, something's going to fix this. It's known as the Protoevangelium, the first gospel. And so in the toil now of the curse, as your creation, as your work, as your staff, as your relationships rebel against you, you get a hint of what it was like as creator God to have rebellion disobey. But you need to know in that curse, there's a foreshadowing of the solution. And so in that toil, as you reflect God and you come across fallen creation, you come across fallen work practices, fallen projects, fallen staff, fallen Monday morning meetings, it sets in your heart a trajectory toward eternity. I I cannot wait until work is perfect again. And it's just simply a reminder. And this is only 8.30 in the morning on Monday. And you're already contemplating eternity with Jesus. Right? That's how your day gets transformed tomorrow morning. Okay? Is that that toil then creates a promise in your heart of eternity where work is perfect because Jesus came and performed the perfect work. And so this is God allowing humanity to experience what he experiences, creation rebelling when it should obey And, and we won't go into this, but in Genesis 11, just real fast on the Tower of Babel, we see that not only is work cursed, not only is the actual productivity cursed, but our motivation, our heart is fractured as well. In the Tower of Babel, they say this, as they're building an empire, they say, Come, let us build ourselves a city, right? Let us make a business. Let's build a staff, let's create profit, let's do a product, let's distribute it, let's go international, let's go big, let's get a website, let's get a Twitter, an Instagram, let's go big, let's keep creating, let's go in on this thing. I heard a good sermon, he said, work's all about God, let's make this about God, let's go big. They did the same thing, they said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, let us make a name for ourselves. And ever since the curse, we have found a way to make work about us and our false motivation and our false theologies. And so work needs to be restored to its purpose, which is reflecting God, imaging God, cooperating with God. His resources are sweat. Pushing forward, even at its very core. Forget the spiritual extension. This false, sacred, spiritual divide that does not exist in the Bible. You at your job, not saying a word about Jesus, working on a spreadsheet from a point of intelligence and wisdom, working on that car skillfully, artistfully, with, with efficacy and initiative, that in and of itself fundamentally pleases God. That has to transform your work day. That has to transform how you see tomorrow morning. And in the Tower of Babel, it says, make a name for ourselves. And see, we've tried to always be robbing God of his glory. And the Bible is clear throughout that he will not share his glory with anyone. And so this is not about you building for you. This is about you reflecting God to a broken world in your work. And so work now... As we see, it is primarily for our glory rather than God's glory. And this is where you enter greed. This is where you enter slavery. This is where you enter exploitation. This is where you enter abusive employers. Not in creation, not in God's intent, but as the fallout of our sin and rebellion. In fact, I've even got a note in here, that's why God had to establish civil law in the Old Testament, he just had to flat out tell you how to conduct business. People are like, he was micromanaging. Yeah, we screwed it up. He had to put some parameters in place. So you've read through, and it talks about measuring equally and, and restorative processes and business and legal and, and suing, and, and God had to come down into that mess that we created and begin to establish order, especially and exclusively in the nation of Israel, which he knew would point to the coming of Christ. And so something had to change. Something, a hey, guys can go if you need to. Cool. Creation, rebellion, something had to change because the default mode of our heart, the default mode of our business, the default mode of our work was now wrong. And Jesus came. And if you believe that Jesus died for every single part of your life, why on earth do we live? Like he forgot 70%. Like he's just not really worried about that punch out so you can get to church and do some real work. Punch out and volunteer a little bit more. Make sure you're there on Sunday, even for the Super Bowl, because I can't deal with the other 70% of you. No. Even that must be redeemed, and our mindsets must be redeemed. There's two general buckets. I know which one I fall into. You can, in your own heart, figure out which one you will. I'll confess to mine. You, you You either say that work is worthless or that it's of ultimate importance. Those are the two buckets. I go ultimate importance. Director of marketing and digital commerce at an international consumer product marketing firm. I've got my own consulting company. i got a clothing company. I'm a fitness instructor at the local university. I've done all these sorts of things. I've created three different businesses, all sorts of stuff. And you can see I'm already starting to what? Drive my identity from it. That's why I've got a list. I put way too much emphasis on this. This is what I do. This is my list. Still a pastor. Still doing ministry. Got a family. Got two kids. Got a wife. Got all this sort of stuff. And I drive all this significance from there. And so I put all my eggs in that bucket. And then when I lose my job last summer for eight weeks, I don't know what to do. And suddenly I'm destroyed. That's why I started two of my businesses while I was unemployed. I just got, I if, I'm, if I'm not, then this and I start to, but then there's the other bucket too. People are just like, it's just worth this. It's just work, Mark. Relax, dude. I push carts to target. Can't be about Jesus there, right? Can't talk to anyone. Don't make enough really to tithe. Trying to, right? It's, it's, it's not of any value. Church is valuable. I get it. I want to do ministry. I want to just sort of do this sort first. Of I just got to pay the bills. Both those need to be repented of. Both those need to be redeemed. I was rescued from my bucket. Because what I do is I start to find my significance and my identity in it. And the irony is that even if you're in the other bucket, like it's worthless, you do the same thing. Because here's a better way, maybe, to, to illustrate it. Do you love or hate when people say, What do you do for a living? You love or hate that? Do you get excited to tell them? I do. I got a list, like in my pocket. I, check, I got eight websites. Check us out. So I've been doing this thing, I've been working on this, I got my own clothing company. Check it out. Know, and I start just freaking out. I just love it. I just want to tell them everything I'm doing. I'm, just, I'm doing. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. Some of you are like, because I've just put my, my significance in that. Some of you are just like, oh, man, I've got to find a way around this. i got to sort of figure, well, I'm in between jobs. I'm just sort of, I don't want to, I'm not really, this isn't where I want to be. It's not what I studied to do. Let me tell you about what I actually studied to do. I want to do that. Because you, you, you feel less because of what you do. You're either just super stoked to answer that question or you can't stand it. Both are because we find our identity in it. And Jesus comes and redeems us on a cross and says, Your identity is in me now. I don't care where you're W-2'd. I don't care where you're W-2'd. Be faithful there. And Zach gave a sermon, I don't know, two months ago or something like that, Sunday mornings. Do you remember his sermon on the will of God? Transform my whole thing. People are like, does God want me in that job or that job? He doesn't care, to be honest. He just wants you to be faithful in that job. Now, there's some work that can't be redeemed. You can't come up to me and be like, look, I'm I'm an editor of of porn videos. How do I redeem that? Uh, You redeem it by quitting. That's how you redeem that. You reject that like Jesus rejected certain things in his ministry. There's certain work that's just intrinsically sinful, for sure, right? But I was talking with Tony Logan's son this week, and he's, he's, between, I'm, he's like, I got two great job offers. What do I do? I'm like, well, for one, you give someone a high five, right? 2015, you got two great job offers. You can stay here or go there, right? And we just talked about it. We said, look, God's will is not that you be there or there. He's not up there like, oh, I hope he picks the right job. Oh, he went there. I can't use him. Shoot. He's out of the game for at least three years. He's a Gen Xer, probably only two, because they jump jobs every other year, right? It's not that he's like, oh, I hope he picks the right job. Set your you're faithful in that job, that you reflect him in that job, wherever you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do. You reflect God in that and so this is where we see, well, we've seen the purpose of work, we've seen the problem with work, this is where we see the place of work. The place of work. And so again, in your own heart, I'd ask, are you, are you, do you find too much identity in your work? Or do you feel destroyed because of your work? Do you feel it's meaningless? Is it meaningless or of ultimate worth to you? Both need to be repented of today, put in their proper place. Jesus died to redeem and purchase every bit of you. There's no secular, sacred divide. Jesus redeems your work, which is cursed, but is ultimately meant and needs to be restored back to a reflection of the creator. And redemption brings sanctification, right? People are like, I'm justified, I'm redeemed, we're good, we're done. But there's growth, and that involves your work too, starting tomorrow, because you're now accountable for the truth that you hold. And so that starts tomorrow, that process of sanctification starts tomorrow. What have you been slacking on? I know what I've been slacking on. At work. It's not reflecting a creative God. And then that's part of my sanctification. And so the gospel rescues our cursed motives. And the fallout of rebellion work is not meaningless, but it's also not the ultimate as well. And so it rescues us by giving us a new identity in the beloved of the most high creator God. It obliterates working for the weekend, which is a false theology you find yourself there? And look, Paul, Paul in, in Corinthians goes on to talk about, look, he says, look, if, you, if you're a slave, then, then find a way to be free. And look, if you're just in a demonstrative work environment, find a way to get out. But if you're, in a, if you're in a good work environment, safe, being taken care of, it's not intrinsically sinful the nature of your business, are you just working for the weekend? By the way, did you notice that there's no weekend in the Bible? There's a Sabbath. Singular. Not plural. Anyone here, both religiously a Jew and a Christian? You don't get both days. Okay? Now, there's a sermon that will not preach in the American church. Do not infringe on my weekend. You're lucky I'm here for an hour and a half. This is the funny thing, though. We work for five days, we get two days off, and people say, I don't have time for ministry. Really? What if I told you that you should only have one day off? Oh, no. I told you I won't preach well. No one's clapping, no one's excited about that, right? Just throwing it out there. What do you do with your sixth day? God was still creating at that point. Start a business. Minister. Start a Bible study. Do something. Get to work reflecting him. Right? And so it obliterates the work for the weekend theology. It it also obliterates work as my life theology. Properly balanced. Family. Kids. Church. Ministry. I've got this quote from Britt Merrick and then something that I wrote because apparently in my notes I think we're on the same level but we're not. It says, we continue to suffer under the weight of the curse and not lay hold of our full redemption when we let work dictate our significance either in an inflated sense or a deflated sense. And then I wrote, Jesus performed the perfect redemptive work on the cross so that your identity would come from what he has done not anything that you will do. And so redemption for our work means that it's no longer the ultimate. It's no longer meaningless. We don't derive our identity from it. We don't earn merit before God from it. And we don't get our sense of significance from it that's found in Christ alone. And so the gospel delivers us. Work is not meaningless. It's not ultimate. It is imaging, reflecting, and cooperating with God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for certain spiritual works? Good works. Good works. In the mechanic shop, on the fire truck, in the office, on the lawn. Good works. Good labor that reflects a good creator. Created for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's been part of his plan Matthew five sixteen. let your light so shine before men that they see your what? Prayer life? Church attendance? Ministry at night? No, good works. That they would see your good works and glorify who? You? Your boss? Your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so Jesus redeems our work. And then, did you notice that like it didn't end there? You notice that? You notice that the cross happened a couple thousand years ago and Jesus isn't back yet? Anyone notice that? Am I the only one that noticed that? Am I the only one every Monday morning I'm like, we're still doing this, huh? Right? Reconciliation. This is the part that we're in right now, by the way. This is 2015. If you look the whole Bible over, this is the chapter, the whole gospel. This is the chapter that we're in right now between the cross and the consummation. This is the chapter we're in and I think it's the one we know least about. So we just go to work and sort of figure I gotta do church and just hope it kind of pans out in the end. I'm thankful for the cross. Can't wait to see Jesus. Just sort of in the middle now. Mm-mm. On the cross, Jesus redeemed all things. He reconciled. That means he's made amends. He's brought back to a relationship. All things. And I told you Jesus was a good coach, right? He'll always do something before he asks you to. And he says, I want you to take part in me reconciling all things to myself. Wherever you are, whatever job you're doing, I want you to take that to the glory of God. With initiative and wisdom and intellect and skill and craft. Reconciling what you do. Think of your job title right now in your head. What does that look like as it becomes reconciled to the Holy God? And let me show you two passages. Colossians 1:15 through 20. It says this: He that's Jesus is the image of the invisible God. See, he's the image. Jesus is like, hey, that whole Imago Day, that whole having to reflect God in heaven, I've done that. That was the incarnation. Jesus has even done that in his... Okay, can I just say this? Jesus had a secular job. Before we even get to reconciliation, do you know that Jesus came into human history on a redemptive rescue mission? He showed up in rags, not riches, in poverty and in wealth. He grew in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord till about the age of 12, and then he helped take over his dad's business. A secular job as a construction worker, as a carpenter. Jesus had to wake up on Monday morning, which would have been his Sunday mornings because he was a Jew. It's like, oh no, Sunday morning meetings. He had to get up. He had to have breakfast with his family. Get his tools together. Grab his bag lunch. Go out with his job onto his dad onto job sites. He had to meet with clients. He had to assess their needs. He had to go buy resources. They rise in the price of rocks. Are you sure you want to go with rocks? Could cut down an olive tree, right? And he's got to go and he's got, to, he's got a task list. If they had Excel, he would have used a spreadsheet to keep it all together. Who am I using? What, where? Mark seven thirty seven said, Jesus did all things well. He was a good carpenter. He was a skilled craftsman. He did his job. He was epic at his job. People were excited, like Jesus did my porch. It was really good. Him and his dad did my porch. Recommend it. You thought about that? Jesus is that real. He had a job for 18 years, a secular job, but he didn't see it that way. He said, This is how I'm the image of the invisible God. I'm just going to work hard. Imagine just being one of those pious religious jerks who walk by in their robe and they see this 17 year old kid cracking rocks on the side, and that was Jesus. They're like, look at this guy pff, carpenter. And Jesus, is like, yep. With a sledgehammer and rocks, just breaking rocks, working. Working in the Middle Eastern sun, knowing that he was playing a part in God's redemptive story. 18 years, Jesus worked. And it says this, Him as the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. And if you find something that's not in heaven or earth, let me know. It says visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Right now, if Jesus flinches, the universe implodes. If Jesus blinks, and isn't consistently working to keep all things together the whole thing is shot he's working right now he's keeping all things together and in this reconciliation he's bringing all things to himself and it says he in all in him all things consist everyone take a deep breath let it out jesus allowed that to happen you say it's not personal enough jesus allowed that to happen he's allowing that to continue right now from his throne All things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, which means he was the first one resurrected, not to be resuscitated and die again. The first one from the dead, the first resurrection, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, Jesus has reconciled all things to the father. He says, I'm the only bridge that will ever exist between fallen man and a holy God. I have brought you back into relationship, back into a restored understanding of your place, of your theology, of your work. And God says, now you do the same in your job. Reconcile your job to a holy God. And it doesn't mean you have to be talking about the gospel the whole time. It can simply be in doing your job well as a reflector of Jesus who did all things well Mark 7:37 All things well that reflects creator God And some of you are like, well, that was a great passage, but you didn't connect it to my job. How does that transition? 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Just as Jesus is doing, we're going to do the same. It says this, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're excited, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, I'm talking to you right now. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away, including your false theologies of work. Whether you think it's worthless or it's of ultimate importance, all things have passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus says, You've seen what I've done. I've restored. I've reconciled all things to myself. Now I'm going to give you that as a ministry. Why on earth? Why on earth? would that not penetrate your 70%? Why on earth would that not influence your Monday mornings? He says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, as though God were pleading through us We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus says, Look, I'm reconciling all things to myself. You've seen what I did on the cross. Now I want you to take part in some of that, I want you to redeem what you do for a living. I want you to redeem your spreadsheets. I want you to redeem your mechanics. I want you to redeem your staff. I want you to redeem your Monday morning meetings. I want you to redeem what it means to be insert your title here. I want you to redeem that. Reconcile that to me. Work diligently, affectionately, enthusiastically, creatively, with efficacy. As God, creator God did with all of creation and with you. Do the same. Be reconciled to God. Then the consummation will end here. Look, there's no light way to say this. At some point, God's had enough. Amen? At some point, God's had enough of the abuse in this world. At some point, God has had enough of the exploitation in this world. At some point, God's had enough of the slavery, which, by the way, there's more slavery now than there's ever been in human history. At some point, he's had enough with molestation and child abuse and spousal abuse. At some point, though he's gracious right now, enduring mercifully, at some point, God says enough is enough. And Jesus reconciling all things to himself, atheists, agnostic, Buddhists, Calvinists, does that mean they all get to heaven? No, but it means they all see Jesus first. And Jesus is reconciling all things to himself, he says in the consummation, all will be brought to my feet. Jesus, at some point, we don't know when, will say enough is enough. And again, it's a sign of his grace right now because a lot of us just freak out and say, well, then why did you just do it now? Yeah, you weren't saying that before you got saved. You only got excited about revelation after you met Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus is giving people time to be reconciled to a holy God, but you need to know all of human history is gonna culminate at the feet of Jesus. This is all coming to me. We will stand before Jesus and give an account for the way that we worked with our 70%. Have you thought about that? It's clear. The church will be judged first and we won't be judged on our sins. We'll be judged on our What? Our works. And if you don't work at a church staff, if you don't work at some gospel centered organization, how does that bode well for you if God can't be pleased where you are and what you're doing every single day? And He can. He says, You turned the wrench on that thingamabob, sold it to the what'samahoo, and then you imported it. But man, you did it well, as Jesus did all things well. You tapped into me for divine resources. You cultivated the work. Enter in, good and faithful servant. That reflects God. In Revelation 21, 5, it says, Behold, I am making all things new. Revelation 22, 3 through 5, it says, And there shall be no more curse. God's the ultimate storyteller. God saw this whole redemptive framework and he says, you know how it began? I'm going to seal it how it began. The whole thing, the whole gospel is going to come full circle. And so there was work and then there was a curse. God says, I'm going to lift that curse and then there'll be work. And the end of the Bible and the beginning of the Bible is actually a perfect parallel. I did that in a personal study actually too. Even with Satan and our rebellion, it it undoes itself perfectly. Perfectly in the same order. It started, we went one, two, three, and at the end it goes three, two, one. And it all comes full circle and we go back. And guess what, guess what heaven is by the way? Nap times and cupcake parties and what do you think heaven is? It's work. Some of you demoralized right now. That won't preach, right? Check this out though. There will be no more curse, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more toil in your work. It will be glory to God on the highest for eternity and we'll be excited about it. But the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him for eternity. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, no nor light or the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. There's a kingdom to be run for eternity. And Jesus is the king and we will be his servants. And by the way, we're going to have a feast. We'll never be hungry again. We'll never need sleep again. And so we just get to work all day, every day, for eternity. It's not a nightmare. It's actually going to be epic. It's going to be epic because it's going to be in a kingdom under a sovereign, perfect, holy king and there will be no curse. There will be no curse. And I'll leave you with the last words of Paul as he left the church of Corinth. And we're, we're, uh, we're celebrating communion tonight. And so all this talk of our work is nothing compared to the work that Jesus performed on the cross. And Paul, in his last exhortation of the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, says, therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore, church, thousand oaks, God speak, Christian, therefore, Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Until Jesus comes back, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, which we know is not segregated just to ministry now. The work of the Lord, which is doing great work wherever you are, all the time, tapped into divine resources and cultivating the crops. Abounding in the work of the Lord. That's you tomorrow morning at your job. Me too. All of us tomorrow morning. I pray you wake up and this just transforms your work week until Jesus comes back. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your toil, your sweat, your tears, Right now, those thorns, those thistles, Jesus knows all about them. God knows all about creation and work that rebels against him. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is eternal ramifications for your work tomorrow morning. I can't stress that enough. What you do at the job site tomorrow will have eternal repercussions for your reward in heaven and you don't have to be on church staff as an image reflector as a cooperator as a cooperator of creation with God you will have no vanity in your labor be steadfast, immovable. Because here's the thing, Christ's work on the cross, Christ knew his place in the redemptive framework. Jesus was God and they nailed him to a cross and the nails didn't hold him, a decision did. He said, this is part of my work to reconcile all things. Jesus says, this is my job. This is God's will for the redemptive plan. As God the Father stores up and was pouring out a tidal wave of wrath on Jesus, he made a decision and work didn't feel good at that time for Jesus. His part in the redemptive framework didn't feel good. It wasn't based on emotions. This is happy. This is great. Everyone's looking up to me. They were spitting on him. And in that work, that perfect work, he absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. All the anger that should be directed at you and me was poured out onto Jesus. And God's not angry anymore. He poured it onto his son And so the gospel penetrates every vestige of your heart, every vestige of your day, every vestige of your job. There's no secular sacred divide anymore. You play a part in God's redemptive story, regardless of your job title, tomorrow morning with the cross at the top of your mind, with creator God above you, lower creation below you. I pray that finally that 70%, of our waking hours would be redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, even at work. Amen. Let's pray. God, we just uh, we just pray for a restoring, a renewing of our minds this week, as we head back to uh, as we head back to creation tomorrow, as we head back to our work, which was ordained by you. Good. But it is cursed, and so I just I pray that in the toil we would see the promise, the point forward of work. And that it's a reminder that we are broken and in need of a savior. And Jesus, that we would be reminded as we take communion and this week, that we would be reminded of what you did to accomplish that perfect work. That your body was broken and your perfect holy blood was shed. That you lived the life that we should have lived. You died the death that we should have died. To reconcile us to a holy God. And so transform us. Holy Spirit, transform the minds and the hearts of your people. Make Monday morning radically different tomorrow. Make it restored and renewed in the gospel. That every ounce of work will not go in vain before you. And so we thank you for the promise, Jesus. I can't wait to see you. Jesus, I can't wait till you take away the pain. I can't wait to work for a perfect king for eternity. To serve you, not because you didn't serve us first, but because you served us first. The only king to come and wash the feet. The only king to come and die. Jesus, that you modeled for us servitude. And I pray that we would just simply see that we model you in our service and in our work tomorrow. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're currently doing in your church. Thank you for giving us this ministry. We can't wait to see you again. Until then, we've got work to do. To your glory, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen.